shall find rest across the river. Praise the Lord. Let's go before him in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before your throne again as your ransomed people that we may worship you through the preaching and teaching of your word. Lord, we pray and thank you for your word that you have preserved for us, that we may know the way to be right with you, the way of life, the way to come to you in peace. And it is the way of the cross. And we thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of Christ in accomplishing the work that he did on the cross by pouring his own fountain, pouring his own blood, that he may remove sin and impurity from us, that he may remove all the idols from us and remove all the falsehood from us. And Lord, we pray and thank you for your people again whom you have gathered, and I pray, Lord, that you grant them ears, spiritual ears, to hear what says the Lord. And as always, Lord, we pray for all whom shall hear this word that you've given me, that they may be given ears also to hear in their time, and that you may call them by your word, for your word never returns to you void. Our Lord, we pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. John 5, 45 to 47. I thought we would be finishing, but I don't think we'll be finishing yet. These are the last three verses in John chapter 5. And the Lord has really amazed me by the teaching that he has given me so far. And by the look of things, we have two more sermons after this one from these three verses. Today. <laughs> I saw Charlie looking at me like, did you say Today. <laughs> No, not today. <laughs> John five forty five to 47. Do not think I'll accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses, in, in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me, but if you do, if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? If you believed Moses, and this is going to be part one, and we're going to have part two and part three. Since verse 19 of John 5, the Lord has been talking and has not been interrupted. Unlike the conversation with the Samaritan woman, he has not been interrupted and has not allowed anyone to interrupt him. This means this is serious business. And this discussion here 
is longer than that which he had with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And remember what started this conversation because we are so much further into this conversation that we forget what started the conversation. We are still in the same day and the same time that the Lord Jesus Christ healed the man on the Sabbath. The Jews are upset or were upset at the sick man for having been healed on the Sabbath. That's depravity. We are mad at you because you have been mad well. I am so mad at you right now, I wish I could kill you because you have been healed. <laughs> That's how good men are. That's how good men are. And not only are they mad at the men for being healed, they are also upset at Jesus for healing him and commanding him to take up his pallet and to walk on the Sabbath. But the Lord takes this opportunity. It's not like this is something that happened and then he said, oh, well, I guess I can take this time to really tell these people who I am. No, everything is happening by the hand of God. The Jews had to do what they were doing because by it Jesus was intending to set things straight for them. So he takes this time to set things for them and says, I am going to put you in your rightful place and I'm going to make a discovery for you, I'm going to tell you who I am and where I get the authority to do the things that I do. So basically the Lord here makes a declaration that he actually is God. And it doesn't really matter for those who are unbelievers to tell them that Jesus said he was God because they will say, show me the best way Jesus said he was God. Jesus was always saying that he was God. The problem is people don't know who God is and what God does, so they can't see what God does and come to Jesus and say, okay, if Jesus is doing these things, if Jesus is making these claims, he is basically saying he is God. And the Jews who had that understanding of who God was or who God is, they understood exactly what Jesus was saying, and that is why they were picking up stones to stone him. So Jesus comes and he tells them of his intimate union and equality with God. Because these Jews don't really believe in the Trinity. They don't know that God is Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But Jesus comes and says, well, there is God the Father, and I am the Son. And later on, he's going to teach us about the Holy Spirit, whom he's going to send. So in John 5, 19 to 20, Jesus has said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing, 
and the Father will show him greater works than these so that you marvel. And Jesus has told them that he does the same works as God the Father and said in verse 21 to 22, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. So the Son apparently just does not give life. He gives life to whomever he wishes. Whomever he wishes. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son. The Father raises the dead and gives them life, and so does the Son. So what is Jesus saying? He is saying he does all the works of God. And you can't do all the works of God if you are not God. The Jews expected God to be the one who does the work of judgment at the end of the ages. But they did not think that this God, this one who is talking to them, this one who is the son of man, is that God who is going to do the judgment. Jesus comes and says, the father judges no one, but has given all authority to judge to the son. John 5, 22 to 23. For not even the Father judges anyone, but he has given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son even as they honor the Father. How can the Son be honored the same way as the Father, and the Father still be okay with that, unless the Son is also God? The Son has to be equal to God. And if he's equal to God, that makes him God. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And all things have been arranged this way. Salvation has been arranged this way. That all may honor the Son as the Father is honored. And so if we have to have a proper understanding of salvation and the works of God, we have to come from that end of things. Salvation is designed this way because God wants to honor the Son. The Son cannot be honored if there are no people to save. You need to be saved. And if you need to be saved, there has to be one to save. And this work of salvation is such that it can only be done by one who is God. So salvation is not some random work. It is a purpose of God from eternity for the honoring of his son. But listen to this. This is how else God has determined to honor the son. By making him the only source of salvation so that none shall possess eternal life outside of believing in his son. So the Lord will say in verse 24, John 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment but has passed out of death into life. For the Son to be honored accordingly, he only saves those who hear his word and believe in him. But those who hear his word and believe in him 
are the ones that God has made willing to believe in him. So faith alone, in Christ alone, is the requirement that God has imposed and requires, but has also provided for all those who shall possess life in the Son. Why? Why faith alone? Because true saving faith brings nothing to the Son. If you are going to be saved by the Son, and if the Son has to be honored in saving you, you can only come to Him one way. And you have to come by faith. And true faith comes with nothing. According to Apostle Paul in Romans 3.27, he says, Salvation is according to the law of faith. For what reason? Because the law of faith excludes boasting. If there's anything that you bring to salvation that makes you more visible to God than other people, guess what? You are sharing in the glory of Christ. And the son says, no, no, no. I'm going to give you an empty bucket. Empty bucket with not even a drop in it. Okay, I'm going to put it on the stove and dry it. And then I'll give it to you. And I'm going to put everything from my own bucket. Okay. So the son is the one who raises and shall raise the dead to a resurrection. Whether the resurrection to life or resurrection to judgment. But those who are resurrected now, those who hear the voice of the Son of God in this time, in this time that he called the now is time, are resurrected to life and shall not see death and shall not see judgment in the hour that is to come. But those who remain spiritually dead in this time, in this hour, those who are not risen to life by the gospel shall be resurrected to a resurrection of condemnation in the second resurrection. And so the son says, this is who I am and this is who we are dealing with. You are not dealing with some outlaw as you think. Rather, you are dealing with the Lord of the Sabbath, the son of God. But he says, I have news for you. Your eternity rests on me. God has given me the right to give life and to judge to life or to condemnation. And I have witnessed to prove that this is who I am and this is what God has been talking all along about me. And guess what? I do not need the testimony from man. But for your sake, I am going to tell you what God has testified about his own son. What God has testified of me. God has testified of me through John the Baptist. But I do not really care for the testimony of man. I do not really need or seek the testimony of man. But the Father has testified of me through the works that I do. These testify that the Father has sent me. The works that I do testify of me and that the Father is in me. But if this was not enough, the very scriptures that you study diligently also testify of me. 
He says the scriptures that you are reading should lead you to me because they have a stopping point. They are supposed to lead you to me so that in me and not in the scriptures you have eternal life. And later on, as I said, the Lord is going to complete for us a sevenfold witness of Christ by adding the testimony of the Holy Spirit and the testimony of the true disciples and the apostles. So he completes a sevenfold perfect witness of himself. But today he's going to give us another witness, the witness of Moses. Even though he doesn't receive witness from man, he says, guess what? Moses also testified of me. And says, do not think I'll accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, if you believed Moses, if you at all believed Moses, you would believe me. Why? For he wrote about me. Where? Where did Moses write about Jesus? But if you do not believe his writings, so all the writings of Moses, the five, first five books of the law, first five books of the law, how will you believe my words? We are going to work that theology, gospel, and law. Because there are a lot of preachers out there who love the law. They love the law. They just can't conceive of themselves preaching a gospel without tagging the law along. They want to drag the law. But Jesus says, no, no, no. You're not reading things right. It's not about sincerity. It's about what the text says. Okay? It's not about sincerity. A lot of people think that they're leading people astray if they tell them that they're not under the law. But Jesus was not afraid to say that. And Apostle Paul was not ashamed to say that. He said that over and over and over. But before we extract some understanding from what is said here, because we are going to explain a lot of things from this, the Lord Jesus is also made in this conversation a sevenfold witness against men, against the Jews. The Lord has said of the Jews, they do not get what he is doing because, according to verse 37, you have neither heard the Father's voice at any time nor seen his form. Verse 38, that's number two, witness. You do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe him whom he sent. So they don't know God and they don't have his word abiding in them. Number three, you do not know how to read the scriptures. That's John three thirty-nine. Number four, you are unwilling to come to me that you may have life. That's John five forty. Number five, I know you that you have not the love of God in you. You have no love of God in you. Number six, you do not receive the one that the Father has sent, but you receive false prophets. Number seven, 
you have issues because you love to receive glory from one another and not from God. And so that completes the sevenfold witness and testimony of God against men. This is to say, this is what all sinners are like, unless God does something for them. There's no man who can come out of these testimonies by themselves. There's not a single man who can come out of this by themselves. So Jesus, having completed this testimony of the Jews, he goes and points to Moses and say, your very own Moses testified of me. Your very own Moses, the one whom you love, the one whom you trust, has testified of me. Verse 45. Do not think I'll accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. This Moses, the one whom you so love, whose covenant you broke, is the one who testified of me and shall condemn you. The Jews believed that Moses in the end times was going to show up. And he was going to occupy some judgment seat. And be the one judging people to life or to death. But Jesus is saying, Moses does not give life. Jesus did not say Moses will be the one to give you life since you love him and trust him more than me. No, no, no. Jesus said Moses is the one who shall accuse you before the Father. What is that saying? Who is Moses? Moses is the one who brought the children of Israel out of Egypt and led them in the desert for 40 years. Moses is the one who gave them the law from Mount Sinai, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, and the priesthood. And so these people trust that it is Moses who is their true mediator between them and God. So the Jews believed that they had life in his teaching. Or that he shall appear, as I said, in the future judgment as their judge. And the Lord says, I'm not going to be the one to condemn you. But the very Moses that you so trust... The one in whom you have put your hope is going to condemn you for your blindness. Moses can only accuse you before the Father. Who is Moses again? Moses is more than the prophet. Moses is more than the Levite. Moses is the law. That's what Jesus is saying. Moses is the law. How does Moses accuse them before the Father? It is the law of Moses that accuses them before the Father. Because they are reading the scriptures, they are reading the law, and they are putting their hope in their performance of the law. So it is the very law that they are claiming to be holding and following that is going to condemn them before the Father. The law pointed them to Christ. And even now, it is the law of God that accuses everybody and anybody before God. 
Because the law was not given to save you. The law was given as a tutor. As an instructor. To lead us to Christ. That's Galatians 3, 24 and 25. The law was given not to give you life. But to lead you. As a guide to Christ. To point you to Christ. And that's going to be our sermon number two. Next week. In what way does the law point to Christ? Listen to this. John 5, 46. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. If the Jews had believed in Moses, they would also have believed in Jesus. Why and how? The Lord says, for he wrote about me. He wrote about him. The Lord did not give any particular text of reference. But he summed everything, he summed up everything that Moses wrote as pointing and talking about him. So if the Jews really believed Moses, they have no other way but to believe Christ. For Moses wrote about him. But where did Moses write about Jesus? We've been talking about this. We had that other sermon from John 5, 39 about the scriptures. And we went through Genesis and we gave some examples. You can never exhaust it because you have to teach the whole Old Testament. But just some examples of what the Jews are expected to know. That should make it easy for them to believe in Christ. Genesis 3.15 I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. You shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Genesis 22.18 In your seed, this very same seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. We have the promise of the seed to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, in whom all the nations of the world shall be blessed. Genesis 49, 8 to 12. This is Jacob pronouncing blessings on his children. This is what he says of Judah. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion whelp, lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The kingship, the power, shall not depart from Judah. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Who is that? Who is that? He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's cord to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dull from wine, and his teeth white from milk. That sounds like a description of the Lord Jesus. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. 
Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. This is one of the key verses. Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 19. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Not to Moses. Listen to that prophet. This is according to all that you asked of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I'll put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. This is the, pros- the prophet that Moses spoke of. The types and shadows of which Moses wrote about or typified or pointed to our Lord Jesus Christ. The Passover, the manna, the water from the rock, the offerings and the sacrifices, the high priesthood, the city of refuge, the feast, the tabernacle, that whole assembly, all was leading to Christ. And these were all summed up in the one statement Moses wrote about me. And the apostles, in their preaching of Christ and the cross, went to these statements and went to some of these types and shadows to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Here, Apostle Peter's second sermon in Acts 3. Acts 3, 17 to 26. Acts 3, 17 to 26. This is what Peter says. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. All the prophets announced by their mouths, all the prophets, that his Christ will suffer. Therefore, verse 19, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Verse 22, listen to that. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. To him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. And it will be that every soul that does not heed that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. So he quotes from Deuteronomy 18. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. It is you 
who are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. For you, first God raised up his servant and sent him to bless you by turning every one of you from your wicked ways. So Peter tells them and us that it was through the mouths of the prophets that God spoke to them about Jesus Christ. And he says, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ will suffer, he has thus fulfilled. What things did God say his son about his son in the ancient time? What did he say is fulfilled? Peter goes and quotes Deuteronomy 18, the verses that we read. He goes and quotes that prophet and says, God is going to raise a prophet and listen to him, listen to him. And he also goes back to Genesis 22 and he brings to their remembrance the Abrahamic covenant and says, in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And this, of course, is, is a promise that God gave from Genesis 12, 15, 17, 22, and he keeps repeating it over and over. In chapter 7 of Acts, Stephen makes his defense against the Jews and says in Acts 7.37, and of course quoting Deuteronomy 18.18, this is the Moses who said to the sons of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. So all these preachers, even after Jesus had died and resurrected, they are approaching the scriptures the same way. They are drawing what God had said about Christ and saying, this is him. If you are reading your Bible, your scriptures right, you cannot but come to Christ. The story of the rich man and Abraham. I love that story. But it is a story about this very subject. Listen to this. I'm not going to read the whole story. I'm just going to take sections of it to illustrate the point that Jesus was developing for them. Luke 16, 27 to 31. Luke 16, 27 to 31. This is the rich man talking to Lazarus at this point, sorry, to Abraham at this point. And he said, the rich man, then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers in order that he may warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Oh, that's brilliant. The rich man finds himself 
in the place of torment. This is hell. And I know there are some preachers who want to play fast and loose with this and say, oh, don't even worry about hell. That was just a parable. Okay, you find out. I'm going on Jesus' side. Whether it's a parable or not, that does not take away the reality of it. According to Jesus, this is a real place. And the Lord would have you and me to understand the way not to get there. Under the fiery torments of hell, the rich man said to Abraham, after Abraham had refused him his request to have his thirst quenched. Remember, he's saying, it's too hot here. Can you send me some bottled water? Send me some spring water. And Abraham says, no, dude, it's not going to happen that way. So, see the, the great chasm between you and me? It can't be done. Listen to this. Luke 16 to 26. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great chasm fixed. So that those who wish to come over from here to you will not be able. And that none may cross over from there to us. Verse 27. In response, the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. Send Lazarus. For I have five brothers, in order that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. So the rich man sought to have someone sent to his brothers that they may possibly, possibly avoid the path of death and destruction they were on and tell them to repent. Now here what the Lord would have us all to understand about how to read the scriptures. The Lord is the one who's teaching. Listen to verse 29. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In Abraham's understanding, which was the Lord's point, if one could hear what Moses and the prophets, that is all the Old Testament scriptures, were saying they could also attain to life. What is that saying? It is saying and Jesus is saying the scriptures testified of him and properly understood were enough for one to know the way of righteousness with God. That they were pointing to him. Abraham was a sovereign grace preacher and a solar scriptural kind of guy. He says, you go read the scriptures. They are sufficient for you. Listen to verse 30. Verse 30. But he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. The rich man is saying, No, Father Abraham, the scriptures are not enough. They need a miracle to happen. They need a Benihin to raise someone from the dead so that the people may believe. By the way, they did not have the New Testament when this story was told. But even then, 
Abraham argues for the sufficiency of scripture in salvation, even the Old Testament, if it is read right. Abraham is saying, if one believes in the Old Testament scriptures, they will not have any problems believing in the resurrection of Jesus. Because that is what the Old Testament scriptures taught. And if they believe just that, they will be saved. However, if they will not believe the Old Testament scriptures, they can't be helped even by a miracle. You can't be helped by a miracle. You need more than seeing the dead being raised for you to believe. You're going to see it. I'm going to show it to you. Miracles do not form saving faith in unbelievers. Miracles don't form saving faith in unbelievers. You need to be born again to believe. So the Mormons are not hearing or reading Abraham right when they come up with their Mormon book. It's some new and better revelation for us to be saved by. That's what they told me. As I asked when they came to my apartment. I said, what is this book that you have that I need to know about salvation? And one of the ladies said, it is better revelation of salvation. No, it's foolishness. Abraham says, hear what Moses and the prophets testified of and believe that. But for the rich men, this was not going to be good enough. He wanted them to be finished with further proof and more convincing evidence. And in his mind, there could not be any better evidence than if poor Lazarus, that beggar, whom everybody knew being resurrected from the dead. Everybody knew this poor guy. This poor, miserable guy. But hear this. Was there not the resurrection of another Lazarus in the time of the Jews? The brother of Mary and Martha. The resurrection of Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, happened. And what happened after that? Did they believe? No. Listen to what actually happened. John 12, 9 to 11. The large crowd of the Jews then learned, John 12, 9 to 11. The large crowd of the Jews then learned that he was there. That's Jesus. At Bethany, before the Passover, where Jesus was anointed by Mary. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the, from the dead. But the chief priests planned to do what? To throw a party for Lazarus for being raised for the dead, bring him a cake. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also. Also, in addition to Jesus. Because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and were believing in Jesus. <laughs> so Jesus says to the Jews, even if someone comes, rises from the dead, you're not going to believe. And I'm going to raise someone from the dead and you're going to kill them. And you're going to want to kill them. 
Let's go back to Luke 16, 31. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. If the brothers do not listen to Moses and the prophets, there's nothing else that can be done for them to believe. Lazarus, the brother of Mary and Martha, was raised from the dead, and yet the Jews did not believe. Rather, they wanted to kill him. Being killed for being raised from the dead, not for stealing. They wanted to kill him for being raised from the dead. Yes, we are going to manhandle this guy and kill him because God has showed mercy on him. And that's depravity. And that's the darkness of sinners. But there's more. Who is this one who has to rise from the dead? Because there's a point that Jesus is working here. Why did the Lord tell of this story? There are many things that we can learn about Abraham's bosom and hell. But the Lord told this story especially to teach them and us about his own death and resurrection as the sign that the Jews were asking for and needed. And even with that, they were still not going to believe. That's why he told the story. Matthew 12, 38 to 40. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil, oh Jesus, you can't say that to people. An evil and adulterous generation craves for a sign, and yet no sign will be given to it by the sign of Jonah the prophet. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. That's the sign that's going to be given. So as Jesus is telling the story of Abraham, that's the major point of that story. He is telling them that he is going to die. Just like that poor Lazarus, whom they knew. And they also know Jesus. They have seen him. And he's going to rise. And they're not going to believe still. So Jesus says, If you need to know who I am, and to believe who I am, you have to believe in his resurrection. You have to believe in the law and the prophets because they spoke and testified of him. Even now, men want proof that there's God. You can't even prove that Jesus resurrected from the dead. Guess what? They are talking like the rich men. Abraham says, They have Moses and the prophets. They should hear them. The Lord says, If you are reading Moses right, even right now, you should believe in him. And if you believe in him, he is the only way of salvation for you. He is the only way of escape from the fiery torments of hell. Do, do you see that? That's what Jesus is saying. He is saying there are two places to go here. 
and there's a way to avoid that other place. And it, it is if you believe what Moses and the prophets wrote. And he is saying, they wrote about me. But how did Abraham get to be in Abraham's bosom? How did he make it? Jesus said of him, of Abraham, Abraham saw my day and he was glad. Abraham saw the coming of the promised seed and he believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. And you too have to see the Lord by faith. There's no other resurrection that's going to happen for you to see. Don't be going to Benny Hinn and company hoping that your faith is going to come out stronger because you saw some dude who was on a wheelchair or in a wheelchair who was raised, which most of those dudes are fake dudes that they plant in there. These are guys who are playing soccer during the weekend and they come on Sunday and they're raised from their wheelchairs. That's not going to help your faith. You too have to see the Lord by faith. You have to believe for without faith it is, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe what? That he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. John 5.47. That's our last verse. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? The Jews studied the scriptures diligently. And yet, according to the Lord, they did not believe what the scriptures testified of. Because if they were reading and believing what Moses wrote, then there was no way they could not believe in the words of Jesus. And that is a fundamental theological statement. Moses wrote about the prophet who would come. And everyone was warned to pay heed to the words that this prophet would speak. This prophet speaks not the words of Moses to the people. Do you see? This prophet does not speak the, Mo the words of Moses to the people, but rather he speaks the words of God to the people, and he is the fulfillment of what Moses wrote and taught the people. The writings of Moses were the law. The writings of Moses were the law. And so, if we truly believe the law, we do not diligently try to study and to perform it, as the Jews were doing. If we truly believe in the law of Moses, Jesus says, it is a highway without any exits to him. The law testifies of Christ and any who think that they honor God by going back to the law are not hearing even Moses himself and are not hearing Abraham. Jesus says, if you miss what the law was pointing or is pointing you to, it is impossible to hear his words. Jesus and Moses are not 
opposed to each other. Rather, Moses is a sign in the highway to Jesus. He is a pointer to salvation. The law is not the destination. Jesus is your desired destination. The law gives you the proper directions to go to your desired destination. Moses and the law are not salvation and do not give salvation in themselves. Even after you've been saved. You do not come to Jesus so that you can go back to the law. Like a lot of preachers are teaching. They say, the law leads you to Jesus, but when you come to Jesus, go back to the law. No. The law only has one sign, it points forward to Christ. It does, it's not a double sign. It's not a double arrow. It only points in one direction. You go to the law so that it can bring you to Jesus. You don't go to Jesus to be pointed back to the law. This is what Apostle Paul says in Romans 8, 3-4. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, or the law could not do something. God did. How? By sending his own son. In the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. So the law cannot help you and could not help you because of the weakness of your flesh. And your flesh is weak. Why? Because of sin. And you still have sin in you. So the law could never help you. But how did God help you? He condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteous requirement of the law, the righteous requirement of the law, the law has a righteous requirement which you are not able to perform because of the weakness of your flesh. The law is holy. The commandment is good. But the problem is you. You can't do the law. You don't want to do the law. But the righteous requirement that the law requires, that God requires, has been met by Jesus. He fulfilled in us. Oh, that's beautiful. What the law required for you to perform, Jesus fulfilled, not in himself, in us. So when Jesus fulfilled the law, it was like you fulfilling the law. He did it in us, in our place, who do not walk according to the flesh. So you see the distinction? The distinction is, if you are under the law, you are under sin, and you are weak, you are walking according to the flesh. But because of Christ who fulfilled the requirement of the law in us, we are now reckoned as those who walk according to the Spirit. So there's a distinction. There are two ways of walking here. Walking according to the flesh or walking according to the Spirit. There's no hybrid. It's not a hybridized walking. 
You either walk by the flesh, and if you do that, the law is upon you, and it still demands the same thing. But if you're walking by the Spirit, you're walking not according to the demands of the law, because the law has no more claim on you. The requirement of the law was fulfilled in us by Christ Jesus. That's what the text says. The Jews trusted that they had life in observing the law. The old covenant. But they broke it. Even as it was being given. Moses is up there on Mount Sinai. Guess what? Aaron. Get us a God. Even now. There are some who are at the bottom of Mount Sinai. Making idols. (laughs) There are some. Who think they have life in observing the law. There are some who think they can complete their work with God by bringing people under the law. There are some who think they can please God by their own deeds. Not knowing that by the works of the law shall no man be justified before his sight. And this is just not saying or you have to be under Moses. You have to be one of the children of Israel. No, no, no. This is saying everything that you do by your flesh. Everything that you gather by your flesh that you think God is going to look at and say, Oh, Crystal, you are doing so good. I didn't realize that. Come in. I was waiting for you. And heaven will never be the same again without you. It is only by the faithfulness and righteousness of Christ that one shall be justified before God. And may the Lord give us understanding to this teaching. The rich man learned too late that the scriptures that he had were enough to lead him away from the place of torment. Even for his brothers to be led to Christ. But he too studied them without understanding. And to the Jews... And to all who think they can do the law of God, Jesus says, do not think he will accuse you before the Father. It is the very law, the one whom you love, Moses. Because if you're loving the law, you're loving Moses. In whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe in his writings, how will you believe my words? Moses can only accuse. The law can only accuse. But Jesus saves and he justifies. For he came not to condemn, but to save. You were already condemned. You didn't need to do that. Most people don't know that. That they're already condemned. So he came to lift you out of your condemnation. And that's justification. And that's the gospel that we preach. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before the throne again this afternoon. Our Lord, to praise you and worship you. To thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to hear the things of Christ. And to believe the things of Christ. And to understand these scriptures as you intend them. 
for us to understand them. That Moses and all the prophets testified of your son and that we should listen to him. And if we are listening to Moses or any of the prophets, we cannot but fail to come to Christ. We have to come to Jesus. There's no other way of salvation. There's no other way of salvation but Christ Jesus. Faith in Jesus and bringing nothing in our hands. Standing only on the legs of Christ. We pray and thank you, Lord, for your people. May you be with your people as you have gathered them and you know the concerns that they have in this session. You know their needs, Lord, we pray. May you strengthen all of the household of faith wherever Christ is named on this planet that you may strengthen their testimony, that you may deliver those who are being persecuted as we read uh, in all these places in the Middle East who are in prison, who have lost families, Lord, for the sake of your gospel. May you give them strength even in this hour. Lord, may you deliver them from the hands of the enemy. We pray also for our own church. The church here in America, Lord, may you sanctify it. May you remove impurity and sin. And may you remove the spirit of false prophecy from them that they may say the truth about Christ. Lord, I pray and thank you for being sovereign grace and the work that you are working through us. Lord, may you cause your faithfulness to be with us that when we gather here as your people, we preach Christ and him crucified as the hope of your people. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.